This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Danielle Stewart? Danielle Stewart grew up in a suburb of Canberra, Australia, called Curtin, named after John Curtin, who was the Prime Minister of Australia for most of World War II. Danielle's parents were both public servants. She had one younger sister. Danielle was close to her father growing up. He supported her interest in reading and in sports. Between the ages of 7 and 10, a neighbor, who was in his 50s, offended against Danielle in a sexual way. He was a married real estate agent and apparently had access to empty houses, which is where he committed the alleged offenses. At age 11, Danielle's mother died of cancer. Her father remarried just six months after her mother died. His wife had three younger children. Danielle said that she attempted to bring an end to her own life using 300 pills, although she didn't know what the pills were. When Danielle was 12, her maternal grandparents showed up in Curtin. They said they were going to take her to their home in Eden, New South Wales, which was about five hours south of Canberra. Instead of going with them, Danielle ran away. A few days later, she returned to her residence. Her father was not happy with her. He sent her to a short-term youth shelter. She was there for three months. Her behavior was becoming difficult to manage. She was drinking and sneaking out of the house. Her father kicked her out of the house when she was 13. She lived at a friend's house for four years. Danielle graduated from high school, went to college briefly, then moved to Sydney to live with her stepsister. In 1998, when Danielle was 24, her stepsister fell off of a cliff and died. Her younger stepbrother would later die of an aneurysm after being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Danielle had trouble coping with these losses. She went from one job to the next. Her life was unstable. While in a nightclub in late 2000, she met a 50-year-old antique dealer and furniture store owner named Chaim Kimmel. The two became romantically involved, and Danielle went to work as his bookkeeper in his furniture store. She considered him to be gregarious, charming, generous, creative, strong, and charismatic. The couple started living together. Danielle felt safe with him. He offered her security. Many of Danielle's friends liked her new boyfriend, but others were more skeptical. They viewed him as too much of a father figure. He was possessive, egocentric, demanding, and manipulative. In addition, he struggled to regulate his use of alcohol, and he used cocaine. Danielle started drinking more than she had been. The couple would get into frequent arguments. On one occasion, her boyfriend was put in jail for a night. Danielle said that whenever she would move out of his residence, Hyam would come after her. Based on statements made by Hyam's son, Jordan, Danielle was no angel either. She cut up her boyfriend's business suits, deleted important documents from his computer, and broke his prescription eyeglasses. Despite the terrible nature of this relationship, the couple stayed together. They had a busy year in 2004. Danielle attended college. She and her boyfriend started an online catering company using a $30,000 loan from Danielle's grandmother, and they traveled to India and married at the Taj Mahal. 
Over the next seven years, Danielle left her husband seven times. He would try to stop her by hiding her money, computer, phone, and passport. She would still manage to leave, only to return to him each time. She felt as though she was dependent on him. She didn't have any life skills and wasn't sure how to support herself. Her husband would be selfish and arrogant sometimes, but at other times he would appear to be loving and caring. During the marriage, Danielle suffered from depression and anxiety. A mental health clinician diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. Danielle was admitted to the hospital at least six times after overdosing on prescription medication. She became pregnant by her husband and terminated the pregnancy at his request. Six months later, she terminated another. This time, the father was a university professor that she was seeing for a short time. In addition to consuming alcohol excessively, Danielle started using cocaine. On August 9, 2006, Danielle told a friend of hers that she was preparing to escape her husband once and for all. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On August 23, 2006, Danielle and Chaim went to dinner. After dinner, Danielle went home to the couple's fourth floor apartment and Chaim went to a friend's residence that was nearby. Danielle would later claim that her husband called her and asked her to pick him up from the friend's residence. She drove over there and the couple left at 11 p.m., but her husband walked home. Here's what happened at the couple's apartment, according to Chaim's son, Jordan. Danielle was intoxicated. She was using her computer to play loud music. Her husband asked her to turn it down because the neighbors would complain. He would turn the volume down, and she would turn it up. They went back and forth like this. The couple argued and yelled at each other for about 15 minutes, at which time Jordan heard his father say, Why are you being violent? and attacking me. Jordan could hear what sounded like fighting in the hallway outside his room. Jordan's father said, what are you doing and are you crazy? Before he screamed three times. When Jordan saw him, Hyam's shirt was covered in blood. Danielle was standing about six feet away with an antique knife in her hand. It was a foot-long ornamental dagger. Jordan attended to his father. He considered retaliating against Danielle. He even picked up a golf club to use as a weapon against her, but his father told him not to do it. Danielle was arrested. Her blood alcohol was five times the legal limit for driving, although technically she wasn't driving, she was stabbing. Her husband was taken to the hospital where he died from two stab wounds to his abdomen. On August 24, Danielle was charged with murder. She claimed it was self-defense, but she also claimed that she had no memory of what happened. If she didn't remember what happened, how did she know it was self-defense? By the time the trial started in July 2008, Danielle's charges had been downgraded from murder to manslaughter. She was convicted and sentenced to only six years in prison. She was out in four years. Danielle said that by going to prison, she lost her family, her business, her residence, her clothes, her makeup, and her dog. In addition, she complained that prison was a rough place. But fortunately, she was able to make violent and physically strong friends who protected her. Danielle returned to college after being released from prison. She has insisted that she is a good person who has taken responsibility for her actions. She no longer drinks or uses drugs and wants to raise awareness about domestic violence.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence and give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Now moving to my analysis. Was Danielle actually guilty of something like second-degree murder as opposed to manslaughter? Many people are understandably confused as to why the charges were downgraded in this case. It appears to be a fairly straightforward case of a wife stabbing her husband to death. In Australia, as it is in many countries, second-degree murder involves intent to kill and manslaughter does not. Let's take a look at the factors both for and against the idea that Danielle was guilty of second-degree murder. Starting with the inculpatory evidence, there is no dispute that Danielle stabbed her husband twice with a dagger, which mortally wounded him. Most people know that stabbing somebody with a one-foot dagger can cause death. Danielle had been drinking quite a bit, which is something she did voluntarily. She knew the risks of drinking. Based on what Jordan said, it appears as though Danielle provoked the argument and her husband was unarmed. Right before he was stabbed, her husband asked her why she was being violent. Danielle had written a play about a woman who had a secret desire to murder her older, attentive husband. Moving to the exculpatory evidence, I don't consider any of the following items to be exculpatory, but I think they were used in that way, like they were used in her favor, so I will list them here. Danielle had borderline personality traits, including an intense fear of abandonment. She had a poor relationship with her father. Perhaps her husband reminded her of her father, like she projected her resentment of her father onto her husband. Danielle claimed to have no memory of the incident, perhaps due to alcohol use. Danielle had suffered a series of losses in her life. When considering the evidence, I don't think it makes sense that the charges were downgraded. It really does appear as though Danielle simply murdered her husband in the heat of the moment. It may have been something that was planned, but there's not a lot of evidence that supports that. Here are my thoughts on a few items that stood out to me in this case. Item number one, alcohol and cocaine were an important part of Danielle's life. By marrying a wealthy husband who also used those substances, Danielle guaranteed herself access to them. Item number two, Danielle had a challenging history as far as losses and traumatic experiences, but nothing in her history directly tied to homicide. I think her history could have been used to explain failed relationships, career problems, emotional regulation difficulties, and maybe even substance use, but those are much different than stabbing someone to death. Item number three, there's no way to know if Danielle remembered the murder or not. It is certainly possible that the alcohol use led to a blackout. It's worth noting that statistically, the vast majority of instances when offenders claim they committed a crime during a blackout, they are being deceptive. 
Either way, Danielle's claim of memory loss is noteworthy in that I think it really helped her with her case. I think there is the sense that somebody is less guilty for something if they do not remember doing it. Like how could she have intentionally done something if later she didn't remember what happened? The argument being made in her favor could go something like this. Memory is a crucial part of someone expressing their personality. Without their history, their learning experiences, and recollections about relationships, it's easy for a person to be viewed as free of responsibility, like they are a blank slate. Whoever they used to be was contained in their memory. Without their memory, they are like a new person. How can society judge someone if that person isn't the same individual who they were at the time of the crime? This is a novel defense, but it's important to remember that even if Danielle was telling the truth about her memory loss, that doesn't mean she didn't know what she was doing when she stabbed her husband twice. People forget all kinds of things in their lives. Maybe she forgot about the murder. Item number four, I think that Danielle simply wanted to avoid taking responsibility, so she blamed everyone and everything else but herself. She blamed her husband. She blamed the medication she was taking, which was Seroquel, saying that it caused her to be psychotic. She blamed her experiences with her father and her tough upbringing. She blamed the losses that she endured. Danielle claimed that she accepted responsibility, but in every meaningful way, she failed to do so. Danielle claimed that prison saved her life from drugs and alcohol. It's too bad that she didn't stay there long enough to save everyone else. Item number five, after he was mortally wounded, Hyam's final act was to prevent his son from beating his killer with a golf club. One may infer that this was his way of forgiving Danielle. I think it's much more likely he was trying to protect his son, or possibly the golf club, but I would be surprised if Danielle was in his good graces at that moment. Most married couples frown on fatal stabbing, or for that matter, any kind of stabbing. All the various stabbing products should be avoided in a good marriage. Happy couples report that their relationships involve less stabbing than miserable couples. Moving to the last item, number six. I thought this was an interesting case for several reasons, but one of them is the parallel to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case. Now, clearly that case did not involve homicide, but there were many similarities. Just to name a few, both couples allegedly used excessive alcohol and drugs. Both Amber Heard and Danielle Stewart have been given a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Johnny Depp said that Amber Heard cost him the tip of his finger by throwing a bottle of vodka at him. Hyam told his daughter that Danielle had bitten him on his thumb. Johnny Depp said that he often tried to retreat from Amber Heard, like he was disgusted and surprised by her alleged violent behavior. Hyam seemed to be surprised when Danielle became violent, like in his last moments. Johnny Depp is about 22 years older than Amber Heard. Hyam was about 24 years older than Danielle Stewart. Johnny Depp and Hyam Kimmel were both wealthy and successful. Now moving to my final thoughts. I guess the moral of the story is that volatile relationships should never be thought of as innocent or playful. Some people describe their relationships as passionate, but the most passionate and intense relationship in the world is only one ornamental dagger away from turning into murder. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. 
Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave four-year vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.